Hi. Welcome to our podcast, the Podcast-a-thon. We are so excited to be here. I am Kelly McKinnon Birmingham, and you are joining us live um, on our podcast, which is called, um, is my audio okay? Yes. Okay. Which is called A 25-Year Look Across the Spectrum with Kelly Birmingham and Jen Lucero. And so I am Kelly. I am a board-certified behavior analyst. I have been a board-certified behavior analyst since 2003, so I'm on my 20th year as a BCBA. And I've been working in the field of working with adults and children with developmental disabilities and autism for, it said 25 years in the podcast, but now I'm hitting my 28th year, so I've been doing this a long time. And with me today is my bestie, my partner in crime, Jen Lucero, mom to Dylan and Ethan. Hi, Jen. Hey, Kelly. Hey. So we, first of all, the fact, this is way past my bedtime too, Connor, um, who I just we just watched, and the fact that we got to follow Spencer and Lucas singing and performing, and then Connor's cooking with friends was pretty impressive. Absolutely. Yeah. So let me tell you, folks, that have not never heard our podcast before, a little bit about our podcast and who we are and why we do what we do. So um, Jen and I are longtime friends, and we're going to talk, we'll talk to you a little bit about our history. Um, I, Jen has a son on the spectrum, Dylan, and she'll talk to you about him. I have known him since he was four years old. He's now 23, right? And um, we have been friends we worked together when he was first diagnosed. I was the BCBA working with him. Then we found ourselves working alongside each other. And so I stopped treating Dylan and we became colleagues and now like bestie friends. <laughs> and we, Family. right. We started this podcast, honestly, one, it started in the pandemic because we weren't seeing each other. And so we would be zooming or talking and we thought we'd be talking about Dylan and just different things. And we thought, well, shoot, let's just record this and see what we can do with it. And for myself personally, as a BCBA, I have a special interest and um, compassion about helping caregivers, parents that are raising children with autism to collaborate alongside the BCBA that might be working with them if they have an ABA program. And that relationship doesn't always go great. I know, Jen, you've had some really great experiences, but that's because you're so great and you make sure you have great experiences. But those relationships can get really muddied and tricky. And I'm actually experiencing one right now. And so what we have always done is sort of sit down from our two perspectives, like one me as a BCBA talking about the ABA program, the goals and strategies, which Shannon and her, you know, ABA and her jargon of the week, we I've followed forever since she started it. And I know you do too, Jen. Mm -hmm. And then you sit down as a caregiver and we talk through different issues. So that's the crux of our podcast. And um, I'll just throw out there a little bit. If there happens to be a BCBA on here listening, <laughs> you can get CEUs for listening to our podcast for free through SitePro, who sponsors us. And um, you can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And so what we're really trying to do is help families and BCBAs come together in those experiences. So I will start off by saying, as a BCBA, um, doing this a long time, I also have a stepdaughter on the autism spectrum. And I 
didn't realize some things about the caregiver's perspective until I put myself, so until I was in those shoes of having to raise someone on the spectrum. And so I'll talk more about that. But that's what our podcast has always been about. And we tackle different topics. And so Jen, that's my story. Tell everyone a little bit about your story. Sure. Um, so my son Dylan is 23 years old. He is severely impacted with autism. He has great strengths. He definitely, um, you know, has some areas that he needs help with and probably will for, you know, the remainder of his life. Um, my main goal is always to make sure that he is happy, safe, and well taken care of. Um, I also have an, another son, um, Ethan, who just turned 21. He's about to graduate from college next month, which just seems super wild and great to me. Um, he is only 23 months younger than Dylan. And so he has only known, you know, autism being part of his life, but he um, takes it with stride. He's always been kind of a mini advocate, um, you know, and, you know, knows everything, I would say, sometimes even more than me about autism. He'll tell you how it is, um, but he, you know, he loves his brother. He's been really great about the whole thing. Um, you know, we've had a lot of challenges. Um, a single mom for quite a period of time. Um, I worked full time. Um, I definitely had a huge, you know, change of career path. Um, once my son was diagnosed, um, I was a designer for Disney. Um, and then, you know, I went full, full, like full in on when Dylan was diagnosed at four, uh, you know, learning everything I could about it, um, did every service, every treatment, every anything I could do to support Dylan. And with that, um, it changed my career. I ended up working for um, special ed department in the school district for several years with behavior. And then I have been working with nonprofit organizations for about like the last 15 years now. Um, and I found my niche was in fundraising. So I worked for Autism Speaks for multiple years and now I'm the director for Special Olympics in Southern California, do all their fundraising. So, um, you know, I learned a lot. I knew nothing about autism until um, it was kind of thrown in my life. Um, but also I've met incredible people that have changed my life and become, you know, incredible friends and warriors. And I feel like we're a tribe and, um, you know, Dylan has brought a lot of amazing positive things into my life. And mine. <laughs> and so, you know, let's, we'll back up a little bit, you know, 20 years ago, let's say when Dylan first started to show signs, right. That was 20 years ago. I've been a BCBA 20 years, you know, there weren't a lot of services back then. Now, if you go back and Shannon was, Shannon's an OG. She was around then too. Love Shannon. <laughs> and there's, a, you know, I, I moved from Boston to California in 2001 and then, um, and so, and then started doing some opening a private practice and consulting and then finished up my BCBA and the just, 
Back then, insurance did not cover ABA services, right? School districts were trying to do some ABA kind of work, um, some decently, some very poorly. Mm -hmm. Regional centers were funding ABA, but they had caps on hours, right? Maybe you got 15 hours a week if you had a really good you know, service coordinator who was being kind. But for a long time, particularly in Orange County, they were capping at 10. Yes. 10 hours a week, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the kind of like intensive services that were needed. And frankly, back then, there were only a few of us BCBAs. <laughs> like, I think I know all the BCBAs that were in California total. Mm-hmm. Like, we're all friends and know each other because um, they're just – people didn't know what it was. Shannon's always championed ABA services. And, um, you know, so there's no insurance coverage. Access was incredibly hard. I know for a fact because, Jen, I worked with you. You mm-hmm. guys paid out of pocket for services. Yeah. You paid me out of pocket for services. Mm-hmm. Right? And so parents and caregivers have had to fight tooth and nail to get – these kinds of ABA services for their kids. Mm-hmm. And a lot of all of these families, we all know each other. And the original BCBA is all lobbying and fighting. And it did not pass. Insurance law did not pass in California until 2013. Like that's mm-hmm. when families started to get sort of, how old was Dylan in 2013? A teenager. Yeah. I mean, he would have been like 12. Yeah, 12. Yeah. So all that time, parents are trying to figure out what it was, mm-hmm. right? And so it's a really young field still in general. And so 2013 insurance, I remember when the insurance laws first came out, they had dollar caps. Mm-hmm. Like you could you could get EB service, but you could only get a little bit. And then once your dollars were up, you were done. Mm-hmm. And then they started, you know, they started changing it um, and, and allowing families to get more access. So it's been like this battle for ABA services for a really long time. And what, having done the battle just to get family services and, and then to be able to provide services, I started to really spend time looking at like the caregiver role, right? Mm-hmm. Parents were not even only fighting for services for their kids, but the day-to-day in and out fighting for like, is your child eating? Is your child sleeping? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Is, uh, you know, all the medical conditions that go along with that. Is your child getting, ed- is your child educated properly? The financial stress, the marital stress, right? Yep. So that is something that you and I have, you know, championed together is this like caregiver collaboration. So we really started talking about caregiver collaboration. Now, why am I calling it caregiver? Here's why. Because insurance companies want us to call it parent training, mm-hmm. right? How do, you, how do you feel about that term parent training, Jen? Well, I mean, it's caregiver because it's it's about the whole family. It's, a, you know, the whole tribe, right? Um, takes a village. I mean, it could be the parents. I mean, certainly in my case, the grandparents, the siblings, right. the neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I am super adverse to the term parent training. That mm-hmm. term came about from insurance funders. Mm-hmm. They named it parent training, and they said, as BCBAs, we have to train parents. Mm-hmm. Right? I've always been someone who's bucked the system. I'm bucking it now, right now. I'm fighting a, a certain group of people who want to call it parent training still and um, be very specific about that, and I'll explain that in a second. But in my mind, it has always been a caregiver experience, right, because of the whole family that's involved. There are, you know, 
uh, multiple family members living together, grandparents all living together, or like your your parents are so involved in Dylan's life. And so you will hear in our podcast, Jennifer and I talking a lot about caregiver and not training. <laughs> like that's insulting. It is insulting. I mean, when you say parent training, it's like, you know, you're training us. Um, you know, we're, we're collaborating. We're here to support our children, our adults, as much as possible to have the most successful outcome. So, it, it, yeah, I the term is, it, it is insulting. Insulting, right? I'm on a Facebook page, Autism Law Summit Facebook page. I love that page because I go to that group and ask questions and all the parents will say, that's insulting. Don't mm-hmm. say that. But what I can say is as a BCBA, trained in ABA, I have strategies, right? Mm-hmm. I have strategies. I have training. I've read research about strategies that might or might not work. But here's the thing that I feel like ABA companies and people miss the boat. And I was just talking about that when you and I presented at Cal ABBA um, alongside Michelle Hyde and Judith Ursity about this very topic is someone came up to me and said, I'm struggling with a parent on parent training. And I said, tell me why. And they said, they told me the goals. And I said, are those the parents goals? And he said, I don't know. And I feel like the number one thing for this whole point of collaboration, which you and I talk about extensively is one, the goals that we write in a treatment plan have to be the goals that are meaningful for the family. There has to, they have to be goals that improve your quality of life and are meaningful. Absolutely. Right. And that's where the term collaboration comes into play. I do feel, um, though that of course having the insurance covered is a huge milestone and has done great things for families and individuals. It also um, set the certain standard where it felt like the insurance companies were actually setting the goals um, for both the providers and the families rather than listening to what the families, um, you know, issues, conflicts, like, you know, goals for their child or, and it, it's like a very strange thing where I felt like we were, as a parent, you're being tested and also mm-hmm. given certain, like, you know, here you go now and do this. Whereas like you're, you're, you're on the spot, you're being the one tested when you're the one seeking help. Right. Right. And so I know you and I identified a long time ago like mm-hmm. quality of life. And there were like five things, right? And tell me if I'm wrong, but as a parent, I'm putting myself in the parent shoes. Mm-hmm. And I'll pause for a second because I've been, I'm a good BCBA, right? I've been doing this a really long time. Um, and then I laugh because you don't have to raise a child on the autism spectrum to be a good ABA provider. However, what I learned when I became a step-parent on the child of a spectrum. And you heard me say this so many times are a few things. One, I didn't understand the level of stress and guilt, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about, right? A lot of the stress comes from, is my child happy? Mm-hmm. Okay. Second, healthy. The comorbid medical conditions are unbelievable. <laughs> right? um, like I know we can talk. We can talk about Dylan, Dylan's, you know, extensive medical needs. Mm-hmm. My own stepdaughter, who is, you know, 
moderate to high functioning, does live fairly independently, has a job, still cannot tell us. Like she works at Chick-fil-A. She can like follow directions and converse with people. Still can't tell us what's wrong when she doesn't feel well. Like we have had every test under the sun trying to figure out her stomach and gut issues. She has like phantom arm pain. Like you name it. We have spent so much time and money trying to figure out these health issues. So, you know, is she is she happy? Is she healthy? Right? Is she safe? God, that is so scary. Some of the things we've had to work through with her. Um, is, does she have a community of people, right? And does, does she, and does she have like a tribe of people that are there for her when we're not there? Mm-hmm. Right. So this is why I feel like the goals have to be meaningful for the family. So on top of those like five things, the research around raising a child and Jen, I'm going to put you on the spot with these things. Mm-hmm. Number one, that research indicates that raising a child on the spectrum Parents raising a child on the spectrum are 40% plus more stressed than parents raising a neurotypical child. Talk to us about the stress. Oh, oh, I mean, absolutely, <laughs> definitely. Um, I and work. It's all the medical and health stuff too, right? Yeah. Financial. That was my last one, financial. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I would say many factors for me. Um, like I said, um, I work full time. But I also, because now he's an adult and services are very limited um, right now, especially off the cliff. (laughs) uh, Yeah. um, You know, especially post, you know, pandemic, um, it took me almost a year to get him into adult day program, even though he's finally in, it's still four hours a day, which they, you know, even six hours a day is considered a you know day program but that's not really many hours when it comes to 24 hours a day so I juggle everything of you know trying to work full-time going to pick him up trying to get him to either like respite care or you know relatives or friends and um, going back to work I have a pretty high pressure job yeah, I do. Um, at the same time, Dylan has a lot of medical issues, um, and which you know have escalated in the last year. Besides severe autism, um, about a year ago, he got extremely sick. Was in the hospital. We did several tests, and he ended up being diagnosed with Crohn's disease on top of everything else. Um, and he's in treatment for that. So. I just had a huge event this past Saturday that you were at, which is um, I've been working seven days a week, <laughs> almost 24-7. But in the same week, just a couple of days before the event, I went and took him for a four-hour um, IEB infusion at the hospital. Um, and so, you know, we made it through. But, you know, I was exhausted. I felt guilty about being exhausted because... You know, he was sitting there doing all the work. You know, I'm just trying to be there and, you know, support him. And so there's a huge guilt factor whether or not, like, do I know what's going on with him medically? Am I, you know, doing the right thing? Am I supporting him enough? Um, You know, am I working too much? You know, um, you know, things like that. Am I spending enough time with him? Um, and then, you know, I mean, financially, obviously, it's a huge hit 
with autism. Um, they, you know, there's not enough services out there. Like if you really want to do things, I've seen this from day one too. Like, you know, when you, even if it's available, I mean, we've done literally probably, you know, dozens and dozens of services throughout the years, but you get what you pay for. Yep. And like, you, you know, you decide at that point in time, like, what's the goal? What's the most important thing to seek out at that time, whether it's speech therapy, OT, you know, hippotherapy, um, you know, the gym, social skills, and it changes, you know, every Every year you have to like balance it and see like, where is he at and what's going to be the best thing for him right now. And it's interestingly right now, um, what has been the best thing for him is going to like Broadway production <laughs> theaters. So, you know, that's where I'm like spending my time and energy right now. And like his behavior is amazing. He loves it. And he's like doing so great. So I think it's always a balance and, you know, just seeing what works and what doesn't work. But yeah, I think I would say for me, um, safety always, because he has to, no matter what, he still needs 24 hour supervision, Mm -hmm. never leave him alone. Like I've always worried about what's going to happen. Um, even when he is someplace, like he's in a great adult day program with Easter sales, but I still worry. I mean, I know it's. I mean, he's in a great facility, but it's on a busy street, and I, he's only a couple blocks away from my work at Special Olympics. But I still like have like things in the back of my mind of like, what if he walks out and something happens to him? Um, but I love him so much, and he's such a great guy. And I think too, I think for any parent, like our biggest fear too is always what's going to happen if something happens to me or when I'm gone. So that's a whole nother topic. (laughs) Well, that goes to like our quality of life indicators, right? I mean, like the stress is real. Mm -hmm. And I know as, as a younger, newer BCBA, I didn't appreciate that at all. Like a lot of it is time and experience and spending time and actually listening to the families I'm working with. And, you know, I'll, I'll share that um, there are a lot of criticism against ABA mm-hmm. and for a lot of different reasons. Um, a lot of people say, well, it was bad ABA, now it's good ABA. I will disagree with that because I feel like I've always done really thoughtful, kind, good ABA. But what what is missing in the coursework for BCBAs is like family systems and family dynamics. Like That's not usually in the coursework. And I think that they, the place where new BCBAs can get that is in their um, supervision hours and their like practicums or supervisor experiences. But there, our field is so young. Do you know that over 50% of BCBAs have only been certified for a few years? Right? Um, I'm the 1,368th BCBA in the world, <laughs> right? So woo-hoo, good for me. Um, but there's like almost 60,000 now, but they've mm-hmm. only been certified for a few years. Yeah. So those folks are supervising the BCBAs coming up now. So the depth of the people supervising BCBAs is not good. And they don't have a lot of experience and they don't have teaching on family systems, which is why you and I go around so much talking about mm-hmm. like this caregiver collaboration, mm-hmm. because one, the stress, right? The stress, the guilt, right? 
Um, and I know something that I didn't realize until I'd lived it with my husband is the guilt that family caregivers feel when they take time for themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have that guilt, but like of course. <laughs> when Bill and I take a date night on Saturday night, there's a certain level of guilt there mm-hmm. where we're like, you know, we're taking time for self and how dare we? Mm-hmm. Right. No, that's true. And, and then the other thing is, um, not everything is a teaching moment, right? That is something that as a, I think I shared this when we did this talk at Cal Ava on the panel that my husband taught me was that as a BCBA, you know, when I started joining forces with him and his daughter, you know, I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the shit. I'm great. I'm going to come in here and solve everyone's problems. And I'm going to teach everything there is all at once really fast. And that, I, that was awful. <laughs> and everything to me was a teaching moment, right? Like every single thing. And finally, my husband was like, this isn't going to work if you don't like back off and give us all a break for a minute. And as a BCBA, I couldn't understand that. I'm like, no, wait, we're missing precious opportunity. But when I really put myself in the shoes of everyone, it was like, oh, we can like give into this one today because we're all too tired. Mm-hmm. Right. No, for sure. I mean, I have people because Dylan has communication issues and uh, you like we call it the Dylan language. Yes. It's so like I, you know, I've been with him for 23 years. I can usually figure out what he's saying. He's very determined. He won't he'll keep going and say it over and over. I'll try to spell it out until you get it, but um but I have people call me all the time, especially with, you know, some behavior stuff. And they'll be like, why did this happen? And I be, <laughs> I wasn't there. I have no <laughs> idea. Like, and at some point, especially when I'm trying to work, I, you know, which probably sounds terrible, but same thing like Bill, like, it's like, whatever, like, you know, we have to, like, we can't dwell on everything and like, try to figure out why everything is happening and the teaching moment. Like sometimes you just have to get through it mm-hmm. and understand. Like, I mean, he's human. I think we all have moments. I know I've had a lot of moments lately and like, you know, we just got to move on and get past it and not try to like, well, and obsess on like why certain things are happening. Yeah. And you know, one thing that Bill and I set up for everyone's sanity mm-hmm. was in ABA terms, we called it non-contingent Sunday. <laughs> I had to like frame it that way in my mind, but mm-hmm. basically it was like free day Sunday, mm-hmm. which meant that, you know, you know, we had Melanie on lots of plans, you know, like if you do these things on Friday, we'll take you here. If you do this Saturday, we'll take mm-hmm. you here. You know, like, you know, if you know, you do a good job, we'll take you to target kind of thing. Yeah. Like most families do, they're great strategies, right? They're like reinforcement strategies for good mm-hmm. behavior. One thing that we ended up doing that I, to this day, you know, we're 15 years into this, to this day we still do is like free Sunday, mm-hmm. regardless of what happened during the week, <laughs> no matter what. On Sunday, we're going to hang out and spend time together, right? Even if like something wasn't earned, like Sunday's mm-hmm. never a day. And, um, we're going to pick an activity 
and hopefully it's something that we all do, like and get along and do well together. Sometimes it backfires in our face. We do a lot of community theater too. That's yes, something I know. Melanie <laughs> enjoys. Um, but it just made it, I didn't realize how important it was as a parent to mm-hmm. just be with your child, right? Like to me, everything was earned and a reward as a BCBA. And then when we set this up, Sundays was like, no matter how the week went, we're going to just Sundays, a whole day of its own clean slate, just enjoy ourselves, enjoy each other. That was a game changer for us. No, that's awesome. So one thing Dylan started, well, with Dylan, sometimes <laughs> once you do something once, yeah. like that's it. And then it, it's like he remembers and it's like to the day and like that time frame. So the one thing recently that he's done, which I love it too, so I'm not going to fight it, is he wants, <laughs> it's usually like a Thursday late afternoon, when, right when I'm getting off work or something, he asked me to drive him to the beach. So yeah. uh, you know, I love the beach. He loves the beach. We both love the ocean. And we, he usually chooses Laguna Beach and we drive down there. Sometimes we get out of the car, sometimes we go down to the water, and sometimes he just wants to drive, you know, along PCH. And um, sometimes we go to, the, you know, the sea lion rescue, and mm. it's like a thing for him. And there's times, honestly, when he says it in my head, I'm like, you know, had a really long week already, mm. tired, and part of me is like, oh, oh really? But... I mean, I think for both of us, it's like, like you said, it's like one of those moments, no matter what's happened already this week, like anything goes. And, you know, I think it's good. I actually think it's good for everybody involved, you know, because you don't have to take everything so seriously. Like you can just have a, a, you know, the time period or a day where you're just trying to relax and chill. Yeah. And, you know, as a, maybe PCBs are wired this way, or maybe it's just me, but like everything has like a purpose and there's a goal and there's a plan and there's strategy and there's a consequence to it. Consequent meaning like something good, like a reward and everything, but to just be as a family on Sunday, regardless of something happened on Saturday, that was hard for me at first. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I was very much like, no Saturday, this happened. And that was bad. Um, (laughs) And so we're not going to reward that. And we're not going to earn that. But when I was able to let that go and just Sunday, we were a family, no matter what, Mm -hmm. that actually really strengthened our family and strengthened my relationship with my stepdaughter and my relationship with my husband, where it was just like autism, whatever, right? Like Mm -hmm. we don't care about autism today. We don't care about your skills and what you've earned or your behavior. We're just going to pick something and enjoy the moment. And I've told so many families that, because like I said, that was a game changer to just like be in the moment. And then on Monday we'd go back to like, okay, now we're back on track and we like set our rules and follow Mm -hmm. things like that. No, for sure. And I mean, for, He's gotten better about it. Um, Dylan is extremely like um, about structure, calendar, routine. Um, I, I mean, we, you know, we've had to work on all these strategies of just like you know changing it up, being flexible. And I mean, when I think about it before, like you know, he would have to have a calendar and like, lists and repeat it like a thousand times a day. <laughs> and I mean, now it's, um, 
like I can change things up, you know, he might for a minute, give me a look, you know, and maybe not be very happy about it. But to think about how far we come, like since he was younger. And I think that's a good thing just to think for younger families. Um, I had mentors. Um, I had a friend, I have a friend, Hope, who Mm -hmm. I met her, her son was 11, Aries, and Dylan had just been diagnosed and he was, you know, four years old. And I, I used her as like, you know, a sounding board and like looking at Aries and how he is evolved and, um, you know, matured and, um, done so well. And at the time when Dylan was younger, I was always thinking like, oh, it's never going to get any better. Like it's like so rough and, but it has. And now, um, you know, I'm hoping anyways, like I have friends with younger kids and I try to be that same sounding board. But I think that's so important. Like you said, like, you know, it's all about the whole family not about just, you know, the one child that has autism. I mean, you have to be flexible for the other child and, you know, both spend time with the other child separately, but also as a family, but incorporate, you know, things for everybody and not just be pigeonholed to, like, you know, the like the structure and, like, the intense needs of, one child, but just like everybody as a whole and for everybody's sanity. Yeah. So exactly. So going back to some of the research, so, you know, um, concern stress, right? High levels of stress for caregivers. If there are any families listening to this, then I'm sure they're like, yep, yep. And if there's BCBs listening, like understanding that, you know, other one is greater concerns for quality of life. Like we've talked about, health, safety, um, for families re- raising children on the autism spectrum over neurot- raising neurotypical children. And then the other one, and, and in that um, is financial stress too mm-hmm. with that. And then the other one is marital stress, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and I'm not going to quote statistics because I've seen different studies report on this differently. I can only talk about anecdotally. I've seen a you know a lot of families stay together, but I also see a lot of rates of divorce. Mm-hmm. My in you know my own situation. Um, I know Bill and his Melanie's mom divorced very early on at, when she was seven. Um, mm-hmm. A lot to do with and the reasons people divorce one are um, don't want to deal with the autism. Another one is in denial, denial over autism. <laughs> and then the other big one is differences in how to raise mm-hmm. a child on the spectrum. <laughs> I don't mean to get too personal with you. <laughs> but like, and so it's like, as a BCBA working with families, trying to like navigate that, that's something that I work with a lot. And I know you have friends, yeah. um, not to, you know, put you on the spot too much, but, you know, navigating how to raise that child. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where BCB can be very helpful, mm-hmm. right? But sometimes it's, you know, it can be really challenging because people think differently. And I can tell you there, there's also a little bit of a generational thing. Like a lot of times when I'm working with families, the grandparents blame the parents for not disciplining their children. Your parents don't do that, but a lot of grandparents will blame the parents and say, you're not disciplining mm-hmm 
properly or enough. And there's also something called like locus of control <laughs> that I look, I go down the rabbit hole with this, um, is that men and women think differently about who's responsible for their child's problem behavior, right? Whereas men tend to blame external factors. They blame the, the mothers. They blame other people. They blame the schools. Women tend to blame themselves. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and it's funny because, you know, I've had, an, like, I won't say who, um, <laughs> yeah, but, um, you and I are restraining ourselves. We're yeah, positive, uh, no, I'm wearing names. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and you know, because you've been around so long, mm-hmm. but Del, you know, Dylan was younger, um, even, you know, he's, things are getting better, knock on wood, but. Um, you know, he was definitely like an extreme place of like aggression, tantrums, mm-hmm. and a lot of it, I think, due to medical issues. But, um, you know, there's a time period where people did, you know, think that it was my parenting style or it's too laxed or, you know, too chill and like, you know, I wasn't, you know, disappointing enough or whatnot. But it was interesting. I mean, my kids are only 23 months apart, and um, Ethan was um, younger, and he, like, milestone-wise and just, like, every factor, if you want to look at, you know, um, development was, like, off the charts, you know, and mm-hmm. talking and just, like, everything he was doing socially, um, you know, just, like, school, everything, just, you know. So when I'm being bashed and told, like, you know, Dylan is having meltdowns and tantrums because, you know, I'm a wimp and I'm just, you know, not, you know, disciplined enough or whatnot. And you were a good advocate for me. (laughs) You're like, well, look at you. And it's like so, you know, it's so hard because, I mean, it's, it's so stressful as it is. And I mean, honestly, I don't know what the hell is going on. I was just like trying to make it. There's times when I'm like, I am literally just trying to make it through the day, you know, Um, without, you know, the house getting trashed without like getting like punched, like whatever, you know, like someone, like any of us sleeping through the night, being able to work, whatever, so to have that um, stigma and have that extra pressure, and I had my own guilt because, of course, I questioned everything I did myself. But when you have other outside factors and people, like you know, also putting that on you, it just—it's you know—it's pretty damaging. It's pretty sad, and like if anything, that's why. I've tried to be a huge advocate for like other people and families and friends and parents and siblings and grandparents and just the whole family dynamic because, you know, we're in the end, we're just here to try to, like we've said, provide the best life we can for our kiddos, especially the ones that are severely impacted. You know, um, I want the best for Dylan. I don't want to change him. I just want him to, you know, be the best person he can be, just like my other son. I mean, I mean, I look at it the same way. I don't look at it anyway differently. It's like different 
you know, it's a different approach, but it's still the same like goals and outcomes. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to healthy, happy, safe, right? Mm-hmm. And having a community and, you know, and, a, and for the family members, for a tribe. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, when I read that study about how um, men tend to blame external factors and women blame themselves, I was like, that's dead on. And then, you know, as we're starting to close, I, I, I'll get on my soapbox a little bit. Um, I do, you know... I've worked in this field a long time. I work for several companies. Um, I'm in the severe autism space right now, but I also still do consulting um, for like social skill groups Mm -hmm. and early intervention because that is a passion of mine too. Um, You know, I had my private practice for years running social skill groups. I wrote a book on social skills teaching. I have a new early intervention book coming out, hopefully summer, if not fall. And I was looking at some of the goals that are being written by ABA companies. And, you know, when I worked at UCI in the autism department, I saw every ABA company in Orange County's reports and goals. Mm-hmm. And um, family I'm consulting with now, I just got their ABA report. And I keep looking at these goals and saying, what the hell? They're so meaningless. <laughs> like, they're so abstract and different and they bounce all over the place and i keep going i can't say it enough to anyone who's listening families if you're listening advocate with your ab companies like the very first thing that should happen is the family's needs right now should be part of the goals absolutely right and like the thing is is these kids aren't sleeping right Kids on the spectrum sleep up to 60% less than a neurotypical mm-hmm. child, up to an hour and a half less a night. <laughs> hour and a half? No, that's an average. Right? I, was talking to mom the other, I was talking to mom the other day, and her son will stay up for 48 hours at a time. Mm-hmm. You've done that. Yes. Right? So, like, why isn't sleep a goal? And then, mm-hmm. you know, like, are they are they eating okay? Like, I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many kids that I, I'm working with, and it's a junk food diet because that's all they will eat and they've ever eaten. And so because of that, then they have stomach issues and bowel issues. Mm-hmm. Right? And if your kid can't toilet and you can't, like, if you're a parent and your child isn't sleeping or eating and going to the bathroom, that's stress right there. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, the goal, and that just it takes me right back to like, okay, the parents are more stressed than other parents raising a child with autism. And I go back to my quality of life topics, right? Like, are they healthy, happy, and safe? And so like, mm-hmm. those need to be the freaking goals. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm right. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I read this article where which totally bummed me out. And this is a long time ago. And it was, uh, I wish I wouldn't have read it because I was like, well, this sucks. It was like, it was about special needs and, or a caregiver of people in general. It could be cancer, it could be special needs, it could be anything. But it said that if you're a caregiver of someone that has, you know, special or medical needs, that you're probably, your lifespan <laughs> So it was nine to 16 years less than the average lifespan. I'm like, well, that sucks. Like, you know, sometimes when you read these things, you're like, well, you almost wish you did it. But, you know, not that that's that you're doomed or anything, but you have to think about that. And that's why also, which is easier said than done, you know, trying to have like some sort of self-care 
is so important for not just obviously you, but your family and especially the person that you are the full-time caregiver for. Because if I go down, everybody's going to go down. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a good point. I always forget that part, right? The self-care. You're right. Because if you can't, you're not well, you can't take care of everyone else. And you're right. Everyone's going down, Jen. If you're not around, say my household. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then Jennifer OC says, heal the Heal the gut, heal the brain, they will sleep. Absolutely. And so that's going to bring me to the last point about all this, like, healthiness is our kids are not moving enough, Mm -hmm. right? They move less, (laughs) move significantly less. This freaking pandemic, man, uh, just destroys so many of the kids' lives that I see. I'm seeing so many of our kids that have spent two years sitting at home on their iPads because that's all anyone can do to survive. And now trying to get them back out and active is so hard. But we know that like exercise, first of all, if you're constipated and you have gut issues, right? If you're constipated, exercising helps improve bowel movement. It also helps you sleep. Mm -hmm. Swimming is one of the best activities our kids can engage in because of the full body movements, right? Absolutely. Dylan would be submerged in water like all day long if I would let him. That's the one thing I do feel water in any capacity is like extremely healing um, and has helped him a lot. Yeah. And I think that, you know, part of what's so magic about this is, you know, you raise money and you're a part of Special Olympics of Southern California and Special Olympics is exactly what all of our kids mm-hmm. should be doing. Yeah. Because not only are they moving their body, but there's all the health and wellness mm-hmm. appointments and aspects of Special Olympics. And then it's the tribe. Yes, absolutely. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's- that's the thing you got to surround yourself with people that understand will accept you and get it because not, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, a spouse, a relative, a friend. I mean, I learned quickly when Dylan was diagnosed that some people just aren't, they can't do it. They can't accept it. And that's fine. But you can also find and surround yourself with people that do get it and that want to help you, but also you want to help them. And it could be completely different situations, you know, but we're all there for each other. I mean, that's why I work at the surf group and that's what I loved from day one, because, you know, we could all be out by let's the plug them. Surfers yeah, healing. Surfers healing. Um, <laughs> yes. And it's funny because, you know, we go out, and the water and like everybody's on the beach and you know if your kid comes and dumps a you know bucket of sand on somebody's head like no one's gonna flinch or someone's stemming or making loud noises or whatever you know it's uh, you know we're just all there together and they're just support each other so I think that is a huge component um you know just to everybody's wellness and sanity Absolutely. And so, you know, as we're we're closing, that brings us to like why we do this podcast. And so Jen and I like to take topics related to autism and ABA and talk it through from a BCBA perspective and a caregiver perspective. Some of our more funnier topics, actually a couple of our top listen podcasts. And again, you can find us on Spotify and Apple podcasts. 
Um, you can look me up on LinkedIn or Instagram and Facebook or Jen, um, find Kelly Birmingham. You can find us. I'm not huge social media savvy. I'm old and I'm like, uh. <laughs> um, but you know, we have one, one topic that we t- covered and, and did covered four different angles was masturbation, <laughs> right? Masturbation and sexuality, yeah. um, for our kids, because, you know, obviously there are higher rates of, um, autism in, in males mm-hmm. than females and it's a lot of moms and yeah. female, female BCBAs trying to figure out how to help young men on the spectrum masturbate <laughs> so we, it so makes me cringe that I think about <laughs> right and then like our good friend Barbie whose son was yeah. Barbie she's so funny he was grabbing the metal mixing bowl and taking yeah. it in his room he's cracking it because <laughs> he like the pressure of it um, and so <laughs> we affectionately called the mixing bowl's girlfriend um <laughs> but we take we do take topics and talk about it because somebody has to talk about it yeah exactly Right. That, was, that was those were some of our top rated podcasts is when we talk about mm-hmm. sexuality and masturbation and I actually I teach a course in SitePro and I get contacted from people all over the world because it ends up frankly being that just no one wants to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I still don't want to talk about it, but <laughs> but I do have two boys, you know, and I had to raise them like myself during that whole stage. So I I survived. <laughs> I somehow get content. Like I'm working with a group in England mm. with some of their students at their school. And I'm like, I'm no expert at all. I just, <laughs> I have to always go to Bill and say like, does the male part do this or do that? Yeah. But like it's female beasts, a lot of women BCBAs and moms and women teachers trying to sort it out. So we've got to talk about it. <laughs> and then the, the other thing that we do talk a lot about is, um, Siblings, the impact yep. of autism on siblings. And if you haven't checked us out, you should um, check us out on the sibling part because Jen's son, Ethan, twice has been on the podcast. And that's one of our highest rated podcasts because he's so honest and truthful about how he feels about having a brother on the spectrum. Yeah, he's awesome. Don't tell him that, though. He's going to get a big ego if he knows he's like the top rated. It is like going the top rated and it's um, both of them. We had him on twice Mm -hmm. and he's so real about one, his love for Dylan Mm -hmm. and two, his concerns. Mm -hmm. And then frankly, he can spot a good ABA person a mile away and a bad ABA person a mile away. He does. And, you know, I've taken them with me to certain situations just to check things out, you know, and um, Mm -hmm. he's really good. Um, you know, we've looked at, not that we're going there anytime soon, but he went with me to look at group homes and, um, you know, he went with me, he's asked me about, even though he was young at the time, conservatorship and what's going to happen to Dylan and like all these different aspects. And like, he had some good questions that I didn't even think about. And he had like a whole list is a checklist every time of, you know, of asking and, you know, And one big thing is I've always been with him, like, you're not going to have to take care of Dylan. Like, don't, 
yeah. where I never w- wanted him to feel responsible like that you're, you know, have to take him on and he's going to live with you, anything like that. But if you want to like be part of it and help with the decision making, like that's awesome and great. And, you know, that's where we're at as a family. Um, but, you know, he is, he's really on top of it and um, he really educates himself and he's, he's a really good brother, but I also want him to completely have his own life. Right. One of my favorite things that he has said when we've interviewed him is that he was really glad that early on you told him, like he didn't hide anything. And he, you know, and he basically said, like, I started to notice Dylan was different and I wanted to immediately know why and I wanted to know like what to do and what was going on and he wanted to be included from an early age in all the therapies yep for sure and and, you know I've worked with families that haven't wanted to do that Um, and every family gets to make their own decision right like what is good for one family might not be good for another family and and honoring that but I do you know I have a stepdaughter on the spectrum. Her sister also wanted to be very involved and early on. And you and I interviewed a bunch of siblings and they all wanted to be involved. Yeah. And almost all of them either volunteered or do some kind of work in the field of autism. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like they're the movers and shakers. Yep. For and, sure. and then the last thing I'll just share for people listening to our podcast is we talk a lot about safety as well. And um, if you don't aren't familiar with the September 26th project, mm-hmm. it is a website that you can go to. Um, it is a website in honor of a mom, Fate Almighty, and her son, Moo, who on September 26th, two and a half years ago, um, did perish in a house fire. And her son was pretty severely impacted mm-hmm. and they did not have working fire alarms um, and some fire extinguisher problems. And they didn't have a prepared exit strategy to get out of the home. You can watch the video of her mm-hmm. sister who is um, a huge advocate and goes around the country talking about the importance of fire safety and planning for our kids on the spectrum and all emergency and disaster planning. There are tips on there. Jen, you early on worked out strategies for Dylan to get out of the house and practice and plan. And I often share the strategies you put together for Dylan um, when I present on that topic. And we do have a couple podcasts about that topic, including the fan, the surviving sisters, mm-hmm. as well as our good friend, um, Jonathan, who works for the fire department. Yes. Yeah. So important. I mean, safety, even to this day, um, you know, even just walking in parking lots or walking, you know, on city streets and stuff like that, I'm still on edge, you know, and it's still always a teaching moment. Um, but yeah, definitely if anything, just the house safety, there's so many components that can happen, but, um, we both knew them and it was so tragic when that happened. And it was a big eye opener for me just to, you know, really be on top of it and, you know, make sure, again, if whatever I can do to, you know, make our household safe for Dylan and for everybody. Yeah. And one thing I learned from that is a lot of our kids are being excluded from fire drills in their mm-hmm. public schools. 
I didn't realize that until I started doing some presentations and talking about the topic. And um, that's illegal. <laughs> um, schools can't do that. And so if you're listening to that, same with sexual education, they can't exclude kids on the spectrum from those topics. Um, and they're supposed to be included. That's where we have to advocate. <laughs> well, we hope you enjoyed our podcast and our podcast of Thon, our first one ever. And please feel please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and or Apple Podcasts, or you can find us on Facebook, 25, 25 year look across the autism spectrum. Jen and I talking about our our journey together. I'm going to bed. I might be. We'll see. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.